This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Hello, friends, and welcome back. Today I'm going to continue my talk on the covenants of God. And last time we had an introduction to the idea of covenants in the Bible. Today we'll look specifically at the covenants, and in the next one or two episodes we'll talk about how those covenants apply to Christians today. Before we get into that, I'd like to share something that came to me through Bible reading, our family Bible reading time this week. We were reading in the book of Philemon, chapter 1, verse 6. Paul writes, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. And this stood out to me because of the so that in the middle of that sentence. You do one thing and the result is another thing. And I was thinking how this applied to me. I'll read it again. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith. Why? So that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. When we, followers of Jesus, share our faith, we come to a better understanding, a full understanding of all the good things that we have in Christ. I was thinking about how that applies to me and this series of talks that I've been giving for over a year now, that as I've gathered my thoughts and prayed about what the Lord wants me to say and pursued this and actively shared my faith with you, I have come to a better understanding of the goodness of God. My faith has been deepened. So that's a prayer for you, that you would be active in sharing your faith so that you'll have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. When we live out our faith, blessings flow. When we share our faith, of course, the blessings are flowing away from us because we're sharing the truth with someone else. But then the blessings flow to us because we have a deeper understanding then. God blesses everybody involved in that process. When his will is being done, everybody benefits. All sides benefit. So I encourage you, share your faith. If there's anything that I share with you that clicks in your mind and touches your heart, then I encourage you, share that with other people. Just say something like, you know, I think the Lord is saying this to me, or I had this understanding that I didn't have before. And a lot of what I'm sharing with you in this podcast are things that someone shared with me, and my spirit leapt and my mind jumped. I'm like, wow, that's good. That's really good. We want to walk in the ways of God. We don't want to just float through this world, living by the ways of this world. We want to walk in the ways of God. His kingdom is completely different from the kingdom of this world. And if we're earnestly seeking him, he will reward us. That's a promise. All right, so let's return now to the covenants. And I'll just go over my introductory remarks a little bit in case somebody's listening who hasn't heard the previous episode. And if you haven't, I encourage you to go back and listen to that. It's of primary importance to understand that covenants are very, very important because through the covenants, God tells human beings how he will relate to us. That's what covenants are. A covenant is a bond, and God initiates these covenants, and he tells people how he's going to relate. And they're 
revelatory, and they build upon one another. And I had heard other people talk about covenants, but it wasn't clear to me what God says about covenants. I sort of heard it in the background. So a few years ago, I decided that I'm going to study covenants and see what I can learn about it. There are lots of differences of conviction and opinion in the church. What about tithing? Is that a law that Christians are under, obligated to hold? Is Sunday a special day? Is Sunday the Sabbath? What about baptizing babies? What about churches who have priests and altars? Some have those things and some do not. What about churches that have the Ten Commandments painted on the wall? These are all questions that divide the church, and there are a lot of different views. And our understanding of covenant is going to help us answer these questions. Tithing, baptizing, Sabbaths, altars, vestments. So my purpose in my study, and also my purpose in sharing with you now, was to answer really two main questions. How many covenants are there in the Bible? And how many of those covenants apply to Christians today? That's where we're headed. Last time I did a little introduction. Today I'll talk about the covenants as they're revealed in the scriptures. And we'll take our time with that. I may get through four today, maybe five. Last time I answered the question, how many are in the Bible? Even though different people say there are one, two, three, five, or seven covenants. And there's good teaching about all those things, but the answer really is there are five covenants in the Bible. Covenants that are called covenants. I mentioned last time some people talk about the Adamic covenant, God's covenant with Adam, but nowhere in the scripture is that called a covenant. I want to look at only the times in the Bible when God has an agreement with human beings and he calls it a covenant. Later, Maybe next time, or a couple of episodes from now, we'll look at how many covenants apply to Christians today. We'll have a little insight into that today, but I'll talk much more specifically about it later. I also very quickly want to remind you that a covenant is not a contract. There are two kinds of agreements that can bind parties together. A contract involves negotiation, and a covenant does not involve negotiation. A covenant is one-sided. It is unilateral. A covenant is made by one party toward another party based on a promise to do something for the other party. And there are no negotiations. That's very important. When we look at the covenants in the scripture, human beings are not allowed to negotiate with God the terms of these covenants. He will have in the covenants, in some cases, penalties. If human beings say, yes, we'll be a part of this covenant, but then they break the terms of the covenant, there'll be penalties. But there's no negotiation about that. Also, I just want to remind you again that the word covenant is the same as the word testament. As I mentioned in other languages, they're actually the exact same word. The Russian Bible has the New Covenant and the Old Covenant. Those are the names for the New Testament and the Old Testament writings. And human beings often make a will and a testament, a last will and testament, and that's a will and a covenant. And we're going to look at how God's will is very much the integral part of his covenants towards man, his will. So today we're going to look at the covenants, and there are five, and they are all connected with people. In the Old Testament writings, we see four covenants that come into effect in the Old Testament. 
And also in the Old Testament, there is mentioned a new covenant that comes into effect in the New Testament. So the first covenant is with Noah, called the Noahic covenant. The second is with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all their descendants. That's called the Abrahamic covenant. The third covenant was made with Moses and the people of God, probably the best known. It was made at Mount Sinai. The Mosaic covenant is also called the law. And it's the only covenant that's called the Old Covenant in contrast to the New Covenant. And there's a covenant made with King David and his descendants, the Davidic Covenant. Those four, with Noah, Abraham, Moses, and David, are all in the Old Testament, and they all come into effect in the Old Testament. And then there is the New Covenant that's mentioned in Jeremiah 31 and other places. It's mentioned in the Old Testament, and it comes into force in the New Testament. And this covenant is associated with the coming Messiah, and that is the Messianic covenant. And we see in the New Testament when Jesus says, as he offers up the cup, he says, this is my blood of the new covenant. So we'll talk about how many of these concern us, how many of these apply to us as Gentile Christians today. How many of these five covenants must I live by? How many of them concern you? Now, before I get into these covenants, there's a few things I'd like to say. First of all, again, I give all credit to David Pawson, a British Bible teacher, whose notes I use in this teaching. I'll be using his system to work through these different covenants, and I really don't take any credit. If you hear anything good or useful, it's coming from David Pawson. So I'll have a few comments in there as well. So as we consider these covenants, we're going to ask six questions of each covenant. Who was the covenant made with? What was offered? That is, what did God promise to do? Number three, what was expected of the people with whom he made the covenant? Number four, what is the penalty for those who break the covenant on their side, or is there a penalty? Number five, how long will the covenant last? And number six, what was the purpose of the covenant? First, we're going to look at the Noahic covenant that's found in the book of Genesis. And I'm going to take time to read as much as I can from each of these covenants so that you're not just listening to me talk about what it says. We'll read what the Bible says about these covenants. So, I will start reading at the tail end of chapter 8 in the book of Genesis. This happens right after the flood is over, and Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives have all come out of the ark. And starting in verse 20, we read, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. And the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all the living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. Now in chapter 9, verse 1, Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful, and increase in number, and fill the earth. 
The fear and dread of you will fall upon all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air, upon every creature that moves along the ground, and upon all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, now I give you everything. But you must not eat meat that has its life blood in it. And for your life blood I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal, and from each man too I will demand an accounting for the life of his fellow man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made man. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number, multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all of the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind of the earth. So God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth. So that's ending in Genesis chapter 9, verse 17. So let's answer some questions about this. Who was the covenant made with? It was made with the entire human race. It was eight people at the time. And every person and every animal and the earth, every living creature is benefiting from this covenant at this moment. What was offered? What did God promise to do? God promised the survival of all living creatures. Food and the seasons would never cease as long as the earth exists. And he's kept that promise all the way up to today. The third question, what was expected of the people with whom he made the covenant? What were the terms? Well, the Lord said, I'm going to put a reminder in the sky. And that rainbow is a reminder to God to keep the covenant. People have called the rainbow God's wedding ring in the sky. One part of this covenant is an expression of the sanctity of human life. God promises to keep us all alive, that we would have the seasons and food, but that we must treat life as sacred. If anyone kills another person, then that person loses their right to their life. I know this is very controversial, but here in this covenant, God is saying that the sanctity of human life demands capital punishment. If a human being takes the life of another human being, then they have lost the right to their life. And we also notice in this covenant that God permits human beings to eat meat. Up until now, humans had been vegetarian. And God also says that we should not eat meat with the life blood in it. This is a theme that continues all the way through the scriptures. 
It's one way of being absolutely certain that the animal is dead, of course. But there are other reasons why God does not want humans to eat the blood of animals. We'll talk some more about that. And you can also go back and listen to my talk on communion. I did that a while ago. You'll have to search around for it, I think. Why is it that God doesn't want us to take the lifeblood of animals into ourselves? So God was saying in this covenant, do not eat flesh with the blood in it, because the life is in the blood. The fourth question, what is the penalty for those who break the covenant? Is there a penalty? And it's interesting, there is no penalty for not keeping this covenant. God doesn't put a penalty clause in this covenant. Number five, how long will this covenant last? And God says, this will last as long as the earth remains. God promises not to use the waters to destroy the earth. And we see in the book of Revelation that actually fire will be used to destroy this earth and usher in the new heavens and the new earth. And what was the purpose of this covenant? To make a people that were available to be adopted into God's family. God says, even though people's hearts are always turned in the wrong direction, I am not going to destroy them again. And this is the first step in the salvation story. God making a people available to be adopted into his family. The next covenant was made with Abraham, and that can be found in Genesis chapters 15, 17, and I'll read just very briefly in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And the Abrahamic covenant really is the beginning of the story of salvation. The Noahic covenant made people available to be adopted, but now when Abraham begins to walk with the Lord, that is the real start of God's working out of salvation. And remember Abraham, he was an old man living in Ur. He's 75 years old or so. And they've done archaeology in Ur. And at that time, people were living in brick houses. And Abraham, Abram, is told to go to a country he's never seen. And he's to live in tents for the rest of his life. And who of us would, if we were 75 years old, leave a comfortable place and go to a place that we've never seen and live in a tent for the rest of our lives? So let's read in Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country and your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And I'll underscore here how many times God says, I will. I will show you the land. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse whoever curses you. It's the will of God, his initiative, to take Abram and lead him out into a new land and to establish Abram's descendants as a great nation that is the avenue for God's blessings to the world. You can read more about the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis chapter 15 and Genesis chapter 17. And this covenant had a national 
and an international aspect from the very beginning. And God repeated this covenant to his son and his grandson, Isaac and Jacob. So who was this covenant made with? It was made with Abraham, and then it was reaffirmed with Isaac and Jacob. And what was offered? The second question, what did God promise to do? Well, we see God making promises to two groups here. There is a national promise for Abraham and his descendants that there will be many, many descendants. Well, let's look at Genesis chapter 15. See a little bit more about this covenant. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I am childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to Abram. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. God took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Verse 6. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. The Lord also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land, to take possession of it. And then we skip down just a little bit further. Verse 18. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. So we see that there was a national promise for Abram and his descendants that God would give him many, many descendants, and they would have their own land, which would be theirs forever. God gives them ownership in this covenant, though they had not taken the land, but God gave it to them. Under the Mosaic covenant, which we'll talk about soon, they occupied the land, but here they are given ownership. The other part of this covenant is an international promise, and it's for the nations, that through the descendants of Abram, God would bless the families of the earth, but he would also curse people through that family. People who curse the people of God will be cursed by God. And there are millions of people in the world today that are cursing the people of God. And God is going to keep that promise. I'll very quickly say that here is when Abram's name is changed. God says, I will not call you Abram anymore. Your name is now Abraham. Abram means exalted father, and Abraham means the father of multitudes. So the third question, what was expected of the people with whom God made the covenant? What were the terms of this covenant? And here we see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob should have faith. Abraham believed God, and his faith was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, their descendants are not perfect, but God was expecting them and all of us to believe in God, and that was enough. This statement that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, that's found in Genesis, as we just read, chapter 15, Psalm 106, and Romans chapter 4. We need to remember that long before the Mosaic Law was given, this is the way the Lord wants his people to be, that we would have faith in him, and that faith will be credited to us as righteousness. 
And this is the first step, the beginning of the story of salvation, that Abraham and his descendants are to be a people of faith. Well, what was the penalty for those who break this covenant? Was there a penalty? And yes, there was a mark for this covenant, and that was the mark of circumcision, that the males would bear on their bodies a mark that was proof of them being a part of this covenant. And anyone who refused that mark would be cut off from the covenant, would be cast out from the people. Well, how long will this covenant last? And this one is permanent. The Noah covenant lasts as long as the earth lasts. This one goes on even beyond that. What was the purpose of this covenant? That there would be a people, a group of human beings on the earth that would mediate God's blessings to others. And this is the beginning of the understanding of a kingdom of priests. That God now, in not only saying that he'll preserve life, he's saying, I'm choosing a people who will be my avenue of my blessings and my curses to others on the earth. Well, now we come to the Mosaic Covenant. And this is perhaps the most familiar one. It's called the Law, or the Old Covenant. And this was made at Mount Sinai. And I'll read now from the beginning of Exodus chapter 19, but all of the Mosaic Covenant can be found in Exodus chapters 19 through 24. And of course, it's mentioned many other places in the scriptures. But right now, I just want to read from Exodus chapter 19, verses 1 through 8. In the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on the very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Verse 3 of chapter 19. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt, how I carried you out on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possessions. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God said to Moses, These are the words here to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back down and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. And the people all responded together, We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. This is when the law is given, the Mosaic Covenant. And here we see the basic outlines of this covenant. In verse 5, God says, If you obey me fully and you keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And the people together said, We will do everything the Lord has said. God said, If you obey me, you're going to be blessed. And the people said, Okay, we'll do it. We will do it. So looking at the Mosaic Covenant, it's just very important that we understand it well. And of course, I don't have enough time here to 
do justice to it, and I'm perhaps not the best person to be teaching on this in depth. But it's important for us to understand that this covenant has no international aspect. It's purely national. It is a covenant with the nation of Israel. So that answers the first question, who was the covenant made with? Made with the children of Israel, all 12 tribes. And in Jeremiah chapter 31, which we'll read when we talk about the new covenant, God says that he married the nation of Israel at this point. He became a husband to them. This was like a wedding ceremony. God says, I will do these things for you. And they said, we will. Just like in a marriage ceremony. God asked them if they would do their part, and they said, yes, we will. Well, what was offered? What did God promise to do in this covenant? Well, the covenant concerned the land that they were about to enter, and it was the condition upon which they would receive it. God promised to bless them with health and provision and protection as they moved into the land, and he was laying out the laws of how they were to live. What was expected of the people? Well, God said, if you keep my laws, you must live my way, you must live right. Well, how many laws did he give them? Most will say it's the Ten Commandments, but actually, in the Mosaic Law, there are 613 laws. The Ten Big Ones, the Ten Commandments, the Basic Laws, and what we might call 603 bylaws. And these laws concerned every part of life in the Promised Land. There were laws about sewage disposal, diet and clothing, marriages, divorces, worship. It was the law about every single aspect of life for the nation of Israel. God said, I will bless you if you keep my laws. And if you don't, you'll be more cursed by me than anybody else in the world. It is important to understand that the Mosaic Covenant differs very significantly from the Abrahamic Covenant and later biblical covenants because it's conditional, in that the blessings that God promises are directly related to Israel's obedience to the Mosaic law. If Israel is obedient, then God will bless them. But if they disobey, then God will punish them. And the blessings and curses that are associated with this conditional covenant are found in detail in Deuteronomy chapter 28. I think I'd like to take a little time to read the blessings and the curses because this is very important as we consider which of these covenants apply to us. So looking in Deuteronomy chapter 28, we're going to see how important this is, what the Lord says about this particular covenant. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 28 of Deuteronomy, if you fully obey the Lord your God, and carefully follow all of his commands that I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. All these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. I'm going to underscore these ifs. If the nation of Israel fully obeyed the Lord, then he promised to bless them. And he says, you'll be blessed in the city and in the country, The fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your land. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You'll be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. There's lots of blessings in the first part of Deuteronomy chapter 28. And it is all 
conditional on them being fully obedient to every law. In verse 9, it says, The Lord will establish you as his holy people, as he promised you on oath, if you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. There's the if. Down in verse 13 is a familiar verse to some people. The Lord will make you the head, not the tail, if you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God that I give you this day and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top, never at the bottom. This is conditional. If the nation of Israel kept all of his commands fully, then the blessings flow. However, starting in verse 15, we see what happens if they do not fully obey. Verse 15, However, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees that I am giving you today, all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. You will be cursed in the city and cursed in the country. Your basket and your kneading trough will be cursed. The fruit of your womb will be cursed. In verse 20, it says, The Lord will send you curses, confusion, rebuke, sudden ruin, diseases, scorching heat, drought, blight, mildew. These curses come if the nation of Israel is not fully 100% obedient to the law. Without giving too much away, I'll say that there are some Christians who think we are under the law, still under the Mosaic law, and they will quote the first part of Deuteronomy chapter 28, that God has promised us all these wonderful blessings, but they do not quote the second part of Deuteronomy chapter 28, where God promises all these curses for anyone who does not fully obey the Mosaic law. So the blessings in these curses are associated with this conditional covenant. If Israel is obedient, then God will bless them. But if they disobey, then God will punish them. The Mosaic Covenant is especially significant because in it God promises to make Israel a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's in Exodus chapter 19. Israel was to be God's light in this really dark world that was all around them. Israel was to be separate and called out, a holy nation. That's what holiness is, to be separate and called out, so that everyone around them would know that they worshipped Yahweh, a God who makes covenants and keeps covenants. Well, the fourth question, what is the penalty for those who break the covenant? Is there a penalty? Well, it's important to know that God gave them the freedom to say no. He asked them, will you keep all my laws? And they were so grateful that God had gotten them out of Egypt that they said, yes, we will. We'll do them all. And then God said, well, then you can keep the land. But if you break this covenant, then I'm going to bring natural disaster on the land. That's earthquakes and droughts. And I'll bring human enemies who will occupy your land. I'll scatter you all over the whole earth. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, God says, this is how I will curse you if you don't keep my commands. And the essence of this covenant is the disobedient will be cut off. Under the Mosaic law, the disobedient are cut off from the life of God. The fifth question, how long will this covenant last? And here it's very important that we understand this very well. This covenant is temporary. The Noahic covenant 
would last as long as the earth lasts. The Abrahamic covenant goes on forever. And this covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the law, is temporary. And in the New Testament, we're told why. We'll talk about this next time. This covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the law was only until the Messiah came. This covenant prepared Israel for the Messiah. This covenant taught them what was right and what was wrong, what was clean and what was unclean. This is the time under the Mosaic law when God reveals how straight he is and how crooked human beings are. But there was one thing that this covenant does not do. God did not promise that he would help Israel keep those laws. That's something that is not a part of this covenant. He does not promise to help. And we're going to see that contrast when we talk about the new covenant. And actually, within days, they had broken the laws. Remember, they started worshiping the calf down at the base of the mountain. And God killed 3,000 Israelites for their disobedience. And I want you to remember this number 3,000 because it's going to come up again in the new covenant. But within days, the nation of Israel had broken their agreement and God punished them for it. The disobedient will be cut off. Now, I'd like to read a quote from an article that I read in the Atlantic Monthly a while ago, and it's regarding people who live by the law. And I want to be sure that you understand this is an article about Muslims, and not about the nation of Israel, but it really is an insight into people who think that if they just live by the law, then the blessings of God are going to flow to them. And this is an old covenant way of thinking and an old covenant way of living. So here's this article that I read. Quietist Salafis believe that Muslims should direct their energies toward perfecting their personal life, including prayer and rituals and hygiene, much in the same way that ultra-Orthodox Jews debate whether it's kosher to tear off squares of toilet paper on the Sabbath, because they might think that that counts as rending cloth. They spend an inordinate amount of time ensuring that their trousers are not too long, that their beards are trimmed in some areas and shaggy in others. And through this fastidious observance, they believe God will favor them with strength and numbers. So again, this is about Muslims who are living this legalistic life. It's very much the same way that ultra-Orthodox Jews talk about different things. So I'll underscore this one sentence. Through fastidious observance, they believe that God will favor them with strength and numbers. That is very much an old covenant way of living. And that's what God was revealing. He was showing his holiness. He was showing what is true and right and telling people they had to live by that law 100%. But that way of living, that way of thinking, that understanding of our relationship with God is not for us today. That was a temporary covenant made with a particular people in a particular circumstance. Well, what was the purpose of this covenant? Well, this was a demonstration of God's divine righteousness and the need for forgiveness. These are things that had not really been revealed up until the time of the Mosaic Law. A full expression of God's righteousness, his demands for purity, 
And since human beings don't keep those laws very well, there's the need for forgiveness and the need for sacrifice and regular sacrifice under the law. The shedding of blood was necessitated by the failures of humans, and the shedding of blood as atonement for sin had to happen regularly. And that atonement for sin was not permanent at any point under the Mosaic Law. Now we'll return to the Mosaic Law again when we talk about comparing and contrasting that with the New Covenant. Uh, But for now, I'll move on to the next covenant, which is the covenant that was made with David, the Davidic covenant. This can be found in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16, and I'll read that. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. That's what the Lord says to David. In Chronicles chapter 21, this is called the covenant, that God made this covenant with David. And this covenant is summarized in 1 Chronicles chapter 17, 2 Chronicles chapter 6, and as I mentioned, 2 Chronicles chapter 21. Well, who was this covenant made with? This covenant was made with the king of Israel, and this is the best king that Israel had ever had. The word says that David was a man after God's own heart. And what was offered? What did God promise to do in this covenant? God promised a perpetual dynasty, that there would always be a son of David to sit on the throne of David. God says, I will make your throne everlasting. And this covenant has a national and an international aspect. The son of David, who sits on his throne forever, would be the king of the Jews and the king of the nations, the king of the whole earth. The Davidic covenant centers on several key promises that are made to David. First, God affirms the promise of the land that he made with the first two covenants with Israel, the Abrahamic and the Mosaic covenants. And this promise is found in 2 Samuel chapter 7, starting in verse 10. God says, I will provide a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore. Second, God promises that David's son will succeed him as the king of Israel, and that his son Solomon would build the temple. And this is seen in 2 Samuel chapter 7, starting in verse 12. God says, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. But then the promise of God continues and it expands. Now in verse 13, God says, I will establish your throne and his kingdom forever. And in verse 16, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. So what began as a promise that David's son Solomon would be blessed and build the temple turns into something different. It becomes the promise of an everlasting kingdom, one that goes on forever. That there would be another son of David to rule over and build a lasting house. And this is a reference to the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who is called the son of David. Now, this promise that David's house and his kingdom and his throne 
will be established forever is very significant because it shows that the Messiah will come from the lineage of David and that the Messiah will establish a kingdom from which he will reign. The covenant is summarized by those words, a house that's promising a dynasty from the lineage of David, a kingdom referring to a people who are governed by a king, and a throne emphasizing the authority of the king's rule, and the word forever emphasizing the eternal and unconditional nature of this promise to David and to Israel. Now, there are other references to the Davidic covenant, and those are found in Jeremiah chapters 23 and 30, Isaiah chapters 9 and 11, Luke chapter 1, Acts chapter 13, Revelation chapter 3. Now, what were the terms of this covenant? What was expected? Well, it's interesting. There are no terms. There are no conditions of obedience. And what is the penalty if somebody breaks the covenant? Well, there's none. And how long will this covenant last? Eternally, forever and ever and ever. This is a covenant that God says, I'm going to do this, and it doesn't matter what anybody thinks or what anybody does. This is going to happen. And what was the purpose of this covenant? A visible kingdom of God on earth ruled by his Son from the lineage of David. And with that, I'll finish up this episode. Next time, we'll dig into the new covenant and begin our discussion of how the Mosaic law and the new covenant relate to one another and how those covenants and all the other covenants relate to us as New Testament believers. Now, I've shared a lot today mentioned a lot of scriptures. I encourage you to go and read all of these scriptures. Search it out. Study it for yourself. It is so very, very important that we understand how the Lord reveals himself to us through covenants and which of those apply to us today. And as we get into the new covenant and contrasting between the new covenant and the Mosaic law, I hope that you find some clarity. These questions, is Sunday a special day? Do we keep the Sabbath? tithing, baptizing babies, the place of clergy and laity, the place of the Ten Commandments in churches today. We'll talk about that. I hope you don't take my word for it. (laughs) What I want to communicate is the will of God and how he has revealed himself to us. And it is so easy to let our thoughts wander away or to misunderstand or just not know what the Bible says about it. Perhaps the greatest question that faced the New Testament church was the question, does a Gentile have to become a Jew in order to follow Jesus? Does a Gentile have to come under the Mosaic law in order to be a follower of the Messiah? That was a very, very important question, and several of the books of the New Testament are written to address that. That question is addressed in the book of Acts, book of Romans, Hebrews, Galatians, and it is one of the most important questions that we have today. Are we, Gentile followers of Jesus, obligated, expected, commanded to follow the Mosaic law in order to enter into the kingdom of heaven? That's a very, very important question. 
We'll talk about that next time and perhaps the time after that. And so until then, friends, I pray that the Lord will reveal to you his will and his ways, especially as they relate to covenants. Because his ways are good, so very good. And they always lead to peace for the soul. Amen. Jesus said to his disciples, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thank you for listening, and God bless you all.